Hello, and welcome to the Multiple Sclerosis Association of America's podcast, The Many Faces of MS, Exploring Diversity Within Multiple Sclerosis. I am Peter Demiri, Vice President of Programs and Services for MSAA, and your host for today's program. I am honored to welcome our guest presenter, Dr. E.J. Gettings, to the program, who will be sharing with us his insights on multiple sclerosis and its impact on various patient populations. Dr. Gettings is an assistant professor of neurology at Temple University in Philadelphia. Dr. Gettings, thank you so much for being here and giving us your time today. Great. Uh, Good morning, Peter, and thank you for the opportunity to uh, come and talk to you about what I think is a a very important and uh, at times underrepresented uh, topic, looking at diverse populations with this disease. Absolutely. Appreciate that. Uh, so before we begin our specific topic today, could you just give us a brief overview of multiple sclerosis? Sure. As, as many of you know, um, multiple sclerosis is an immune-mediated disease of the central nervous system, which is the brain and spine. Your immune system is what is normally responsible for doing things like fighting off infections. Um, in the case of many diseases, your immune system loses the ability to tell self from those infections it's supposed to be uh, fighting off. And in the case of multiple sclerosis, um, the immune system causes damage to something called myelin, which is the coating of of part of your nerve cells. Um, When this happens, it can cause uh, multiple different types of symptoms. Um, If it happens um, acutely, it's something called a relapse and can be seen in the the more common type of the disease, something called relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis, which affects about 85 to 90% of people initially diagnosed with this disease. Um, It is relatively common. It it affects roughly a million Americans. Um, We see it more in women than in men. It's about uh, three times more likely to be seen in women than men. Um, It's more frequently seen in in younger adults, um, and in such, it's the uh, second most common cause for disability in in working-age adults. Um, But we do see it in in older adults as well, Um, but certainly more commonly um, in the young. Uh, In in the past, there's been... um, you know, this thought that it affects uh, Caucasian populations more frequently. Um, but we, we think now that that's, uh, that's really a biased assessment. Um, some of the more recent data that's come out suggests that actually um, African-American women are specifically at very high risk for this condition, and certainly we see it in a, uh, a wide range of, of, of people of um, all races and kind of all geographies within our country. Um, there has been uh, noticed to be uh, an increased risk at um, higher latitudes. So, for example, if you know you grew up in in Maine, your risk is higher than if you grew up in Miami, and that's for a number of different reasons as well. Great, thank you for that overview. And you know, our topic today is exploring diversity, and and you mentioned uh, Caucasians, African Americans. I believe maybe the Hispanic American MS communities are affected as well. Could you tell us some of the differences and how MS affects some of these patient populations? We believe that um, multiple sclerosis may act differently in different populations of patients. So, um, for example, 
Um, and in general, African Americans and Hispanics may experience the disease differently um, than Caucasian populations. Now, as I mentioned before, um, the prevalence of multiple sclerosis is, is just as high and may even be higher in African Americans and Hispanics. And our goal with uh, the treatment of this disease in general is to, uh, in addition to helping quality of life, it, affect disability and prevent disability. And unfortunately, uh, African Americans living with multiple sclerosis may be at higher risk for disability. We know that um, from a number of different studies, um, we believe that um, African Americans have a higher risk for disability even at onset. So in other words, the first time someone sees a neurologist, um, they're at a higher risk for already have pre-existing um, disability at that time. So we're not completely sure why that's the case. Certainly there are a lot of um, reasons uh, why we think it may be occurring. So on average, African Americans tend to have an older age of onset when they're diagnosed. Um, we know that the risk for vascular comorbidity, so those are things like high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, um, are, are seen more frequently in, in um, African-American and Hispanic populations, and we do think that that may increase the risk for disability. But then there's also data to suggest that um, African-Americans are less likely to be referred to specialty services, and there are concerns with access to care, specifically access to neurologists. Um, they're less likely to recover from uh, their initial relapse or initial attack in those people living with, with relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. Later on in the disease, uh, we've seen that there are higher rates for admission to nursing homes, um, and when people are admitted to nursing homes, uh, typically uh, the disability level is higher when it's there. People living with multiple sclerosis in the African-American and Hispanic populations are more likely to need a cane, more likely to need a, a walker, and the, the disease tends to be uh, more aggressive earlier on. So the uh, length of time between the first and the second relapse tends to be shorter in these populations. So um, in addition to some of these these clinical findings, there there are some objective, uh, excuse me, there's some data regarding objective evidence to suggest that African Americans living with the disease have a more severe um, disease. Uh, we look at uh, things like MRI as a as a metric for or as a tool for monitoring the disease. And there is some data out there to suggest that uh, African-Americans living uh, with multiple sclerosis have a larger lesion load, meaning they have more lesions seen on their MRI at the same point in the disease. There are other things that we use on MRI as tools for identifying progressive disease and as, uh, as tools for identifying someone's risk for disability. That includes things like black holes, um, which is a specific finding that we see on MRI, and then also atrophy. Um, and in African Americans and Hispanics living with this disease, these tend to be seen more frequently um, than in Caucasian populations. Uh, there's also been uh, a suggestion that uh, that progressive disease may, may be seen more frequently in, in these populations. And one of the things we can look at uh, regarding brain volume loss and, and um, loss of, of nerve cells 
is uh, something called OCT, which is a, a specific test that can be done to look at the back of the eye and um, can be used as a as a tool to identify progressive MS and progressive uh, and identify um, areas of damage and um, something called retinal nerve fiber layer thinning, and that's seen more frequently in in African American populations. So. Um, in short, we think that um, people in the African-American population and Hispanic populations are um, seen with a, a more severe uh, disease, um, and um, there are a number of ways in which we think that that's actually occurring. Wow, you've provided a lot of helpful insights. Uh, and there certainly are a lot of significant differences, especially with the course of the disease and the progression. Are, are there any specific causes that could relate to that or factors or genetics or anything to really point to? So the short answer for that is that it, at the moment, we don't know why there, why there is that difference. Um, certainly, more research needs to be done to identify these differences to establish truly that there are differences and to see what what is driving the the difference in in outcomes for for people living with this disease there has been a suggestion that maybe genetics uh, may be um, contributing to this um, there's been some research looking into different immune um, system abnormalities that may be different in African-American populations, um, for example. So one specific line of cells, something called B cells, um, may be more related um, to the disease burden in African-Americans. Now, that's important because some of our more recent therapies that the, have been FDA approved for this condition target B cells uh, more effectively than some of the older, more traditional therapies um, for the disease. So um, we certainly need more research to identify uh, why there is this difference. Um, and in addition to uh, just the, um, the genetic and the immune changes with uh, the disease, there may be social factors that are contributing to this. I mentioned earlier that access to care um, can be an issue in these populations in addition to access to effective management of vascular comorbidity, again, high blood pressure, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, which is high cholesterol, which we do believe contributes to to risk. Right. So if you're not able to get the care that you need or be seen by uh, an MS specialist or get the MRIs you need to, to track progression, you know, that could certainly uh, allow the disease to progress further, correct? Exactly. Uh, access to comprehensive specialized MS care is uh, is not seen as as much in the African-American and Hispanic populations. Okay. And that's something that we, as um, you know, healthcare providers, need to do a better job. Sure, with. sure. And certainly, you know, that's been a big area of uh, service that we're looking to provide as well and get into a lot of those underserved MS populations, uh, not only with the uh, African-American and Hispanic communities, but really the rural communities, too, where they just don't have the, the, the special MS centers uh, to go to. Another significant area of concern and need 
is with uh, rural populations, sure. right, that have their own barriers and have um, their own difficulty in, in getting to specialized care. Um, and that's an area where um, the MSAA has worked uh, quite a bit and, and, and certainly, as you know, in healthcare in general, we need to do a better job at uh, accessing those populations, especially as it relates to some of people living with MS that have disability, um, that uh, it's even more difficult. Um, and that that's an area where something like telemedicine or telehealth can really sure, yeah. um, be important. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about treatments. Uh, we know that it's critically important for a person diagnosed with MS to be on an FDA-approved disease-modifying therapy. Uh, in your practice, do you see any differences among the, the patient populations in how they respond to the therapy? There are a number of different FDA-approved medicines um, that have come out for the treatment of, of multiple sclerosis. Um, most of them uh, received approval for relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis, but more recently the FDA has approved therapies before primary progressive and secondary progressive. One of the real challenges with this disease is that there's so much variability. Sure. And that, um, you know, many people with MS uh, do very well. Um, they are, are on treatment and are able to continue to work and continue to um, do all of the things they want to do with family and have a high quality of life. Unfortunately, there are people that even despite the best therapies that we have uh, may not do as well. Right. Um, so with that variability in mind, um, one of the things that we, we do see is that in general in practice, we do feel that African-Americans living with this disease tend to be more refractory to treatment, meaning that even with some of the more effective treatments for managing multiple sclerosis, um, they may continue to get worse. Now, that may mean uh, they may continue to have relapses despite uh, you know the right therapy, effective therapy. Um, it may also mean that they're more likely to develop progressive disease, whether that's primary progressive or secondary progressive MS. And when I say that, I mean that um, despite not having relapses, they may slowly be worsening over time. Now, um, we do have therapies available for the treatment of those conditions, but unfortunately, um, despite um, those therapies, pe may, people may continue to, to get worse. Uh, now, we do need more data to, to identify that um, and, and see why it is that uh, people in the African-American and Hispanic populations may continue to worsen um, despite being on effective therapy. Excellent information. Great points. Yeah, it's something that now hopefully with the more progressive medications available, you know, that would be a, a better treatment option for a lot of folks. We talked about treatments, and certainly uh, these medications come about through clinical trials, and I know that's a, a big topic in the MS community. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about uh, the diversity in clinical trials? Well, in general, we uh, rely on clinical trials to demonstrate that our, our therapies work. Okay, so the goal of clinical trials is to identify that the medications that um, we use for multiple sclerosis are effective and that they're effective at preventing relapses and slowing disability. 
the FDA uses the data from these clinical trials to make a decision regarding approval of therapy. So the FDA-approved medications that are available now are only available because people living with the disease have participated in these clinical trials to provide data for us to show that these medicines actually work. Now, um, this is not by any means unique to multiple sclerosis. However, the studies and the clinical trials that have been uh, performed have not adequately um, included uh, minorities in, in this population. That's, that's certainly for a number of reasons. But if you look back at um, some of the initial clinical trials that were done in the 1990s looking at what's generally considered to be platform therapy, so glutarium acetate and interferon, uh, the population um, was less than 10%, typically between 5 to 10% African-American. We know that, um, in general, the um, population of people living with multiple sclerosis that are African-American are much higher than that. Unfortunately, those numbers have not uh, improved consistently with clinical trials, and there are a number of reasons for that. So some of the more recent clinical trials have had numbers as low as 2% of the population mm. in the clinical trial. Yeah, that's much lower, right? Being represented by African Americans. So, um, you know, there are a number of reasons why why this is the case. Um Certainly, as we mentioned before, access to specialized care and comprehensive care centers, which is where most of these clinical trials are performed. Um, in general, um, I shouldn't say in general, but there is um, a skepticism in, in certain populations regarding clinical trials for different historical reasons, um, understandably, um, but it is important. Um, so um, more recently, it is becoming increasingly difficult to perform placebo-controlled trials um, in the United States. Um, we recognize that many of these therapies work. So for people living with multiple sclerosis, the idea of being enrolled in a trial where potentially they're being randomized to not get medicine mm -hmm. um, is something that is uh, it's difficult to enroll people into these trials for, for good reason. For that reason, um, many of the more recent clinical trials have included populations from other countries, so Europe, Eastern Europe. And we have to question how well um, those populations generalize to our popula population here in the United States, specifically right. um, regarding minority populations. So... Um, the inclusion of um, African Americans and Hispanics is um, important. Again, it's not something that we see only in multiple sclerosis, but given the differences that we talked about earlier and how um, how the disease progresses and the differences that we see on MRI and clinically in people um, living with this disease that are African American and Hispanic, it's really important for us to, um, to do a better job with... Um, getting a better generalized population. Um, now, many of the pharmaceutical companies have identified that this is an issue. Many of them are, you know, investing in different ways to to um, look at these populations. Um, so we'll see. So hopefully um, within the next few years, we'll, we'll have more data to report and a, a better understanding of how these therapies work in, um, in different populations. 
But in, in general, what I would say is that, you know, participating in clinical trials is really important. Um, and for those people who um, are interested in participating in clinical trials, but maybe it hasn't been brought up to them before, it's important to, to talk to your neurologist or part, talk to the person who's managing your disease. Um, advocacy organizations such as the MSAA are also very valuable in, in um, putting you in touch with the people that can um, can get you involved in these clinical trials. There are clinical trial registries out there, such as clinicaltrials.gov, um, that can um, help you identify uh, where you can go to participate in these and it's important to remember that clinical trials, uh, you know, are needed not just regarding MS therapies, right? We look at, uh, we use clinical trials to um, look at a number of different ways in which MS affects people's lives and quality of life. So one big area that uh, really has been underrepresented is symptomatic management. So in other words, the management of things like fatigue and depression and um, walking and walking speed um, is an area that we really need to concentrate on going forward. And um, it's important to consider that those are areas for clinical trials for improvement as well. So wellness is certainly another area that um, there are a lot of clinical trials that are ongoing. Diet, um, control of the, the vascular changes that we talked about before, high blood pressure, diabetes, and, and certainly physical therapy, cognitive therapy. There are a lot of different ways to get involved um, in moving the field forward um, so that you know, yourself and future generations can really, really benefit from, from this good research. Absolutely. That, that's a great point because a lot of people do think maybe clinical trials are just for the medications for the, the treating the disease. But you mentioned that the wellness aspects and the symptom management aspects, that's, that's a big part of, of getting more information and more therapies, correct? Definitely. And, um, you know, reach out to your neurologist, reach out to the MSAA and other advocacy organizations. And um, there, there is a lot of really good work that's being done out there, not just with medicines. So, um, and, you know, there is a benefit in participating in these for yourself and, you know, for future generations of people living with this disease. So it, it can be very worthwhile for people. Absolutely. And kind of on that note uh, of wellness and, and taking care of yourself, uh, you mentioned the risk of disability being much higher in the African-American and Hispanic populations. So uh, certainly we encourage uh, everyone to be on an FDA-approved medication. But in addition to that, and hopefully people are, uh, is there anything else that uh, people with MS can do to decrease this higher risk? In general, with multiple sclerosis, there are a number of things that we feel can also decrease your risk for disability in the future, Okay, other than, than the FDA-approved medicines that you talked about. Uh, one of those things is, uh, as I mentioned before, this idea of vascular comorbidity. So these are other conditions that people live with in addition to multiple sclerosis. So it means high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, um, and smoking, certainly. Um, now, there is a higher risk for those conditions, um, or for many of those conditions, in um, people um, in the African-American community and the Hispanic community. Now, we're not 100% sure as to why uh, these conditions increase risk 
for disability with multiple sclerosis. So in other words, is this a is this a disease-specific mechanism, meaning does it actually make your MS worse or does it happen for other reasons? We're not sure. Um, but it is recommended that um, people make good, healthy living decisions mm-hmm. to try and decrease their risk for developing these conditions. Right. And then so for people also who are living with MS and may have these conditions already, um, it's important to make sure that you're following up regularly with not just your neurologist, but your primary care physician to make sure that if you're a diabetic, that your blood sugar is well controlled, your hemoglobin A1C is well controlled, that your blood pressure is well controlled as well. Because, you know, in addition to just the, our M- MS-specific therapies, these other conditions may decrease your risk going forward. Sure. And and people may focus so much on MS that they're not paying attention to other health issues that they they should be seeing their general physician, correct? Exactly. Exactly. And another big piece here is smoking. Mm. Um, We we do believe that smoking increases the risk for disability with the disease. Um, Again, we don't know 100% why why that's the case, if it it actually worsens the MS itself, or it's because of other changes within the brain that uh, tobacco products have. There there are a lot of resources available um, to try and help you quit smoking. Many of those are available through um, the state that you live in. Your primary care physician um, can provide resources. Your neurologist can provide resources to help you quit. Um, for those people who can't quit on their own, there are medicines, patches, lots of different alternatives to try and um, help you at hope at at, um, at best quit, but also cut back on smoking um, if you can't quit, um, with the goal of eventually stopping completely. Sure. Um, vitamin D is also um, an interesting and, and a question, and it's it's kind of an incomplete story at this point. Uh, For many years, there's been this thought that low vitamin D uh, increases your risk for the development of multiple sclerosis. And then the thought as well that um, in people already living with the disease, low vitamin D levels increase your risk for for worsening with MS. And this came out of uh, some of the initial... um, epidemiologic studies and uh, geographical studies that said that, as I mentioned before, that your risk for developing MS is um, is lower if you live closer to the equator. Now, we know that most of the vitamin D we get, uh, we get through sunlight. So um, the thought was that uh, vitamin D may be related to this decreased risk in people who are exposed to more sunlight as they live closer to the equator. Now, interestingly, um, many of the initial studies that um, were done showed that this risk um, was seen in Caucasian populations, but yet um, African Americans and Hispanics uh, living with the disease may not be at a higher risk um, for the development of MS with low vitamin D levels. And um, in addition to that, they um, may not see that higher risk for disability and uh, with low vitamin D levels when they already have the disease. Now, um, it's been identified more recently that um, this is a little bit more complicated, um, that, that the 25-hydroxy vitamin D level that we use to uh, measure vitamin D levels may not be as accurate in African Americans because of um, a, a difference in the, the protein that vitamin B actually 
excuse me, vitamin D actually binds to um, in the blood. Um, so it's a bit of an incomplete story. However, you know, vitamin D in general is, is well tolerated. Um, it's certainly safe. Um, and, um, it is, it is cheap or it's, it's, I shouldn't say cheap, but it's not expensive, (laughs) right? It's affordable. So, um, in general, we do recommend it. Uh, now it's something to talk to, uh, your neurologist about as, uh, the, um, dose of your vitamin D doesn't matter as much as the level that's in your bloodstream. So um, having that checked um, is something that you should talk to your, your uh, neurologist or your provider about. Uh, in addition to this, you know, diet certainly um, we think can influence um, the disease. We in general recommend a heart healthy diet. So um, if you're going to eat meat, leaner meats, um, certainly more fresh vegetables, um, less preserved foods, um, and exercise is um, a very good thing for a lot of reasons. Even uh, you know, short amounts of exercise can have um, impacts on on walking, impacts on um, on spasms and, and tightness in your legs. Can also really Im- improve and um, impact your thinking and your cognition, in addition to your mood. So, um, exercise is certainly something that. Um, it can be an important part of wellness with this disease, and it, it's something that even for people who have difficulty getting what we traditionally consider to be exercise, um, short bursts of, of physical activity, walking, um, getting on an exercise bike, um, stretching, those are all very important things for the control of this disease. Absolutely great points. And and even for people who have uh, some disability and, and uh, difficulty walking, uh, seated exercises, seated yoga, I heard, was a fantastic way to, to still keep uh, limber, range of motion. Very true. So um, yoga is um, a great way um, to, you know, maintain some exercise for people who um, are having more more difficulty and even for people who aren't. So, you know, it, it, it can really help with um, with spasticity and with stretching, with um, muscle strengthening balance. Yoga can really be a, a fantastic um, addition for many people living with this disease. As we wrap up our program, we want to make sure that we provide some helpful resources for our listeners. What suggestions do you have in terms of resources and tips? For many people with this disease, multiple sclerosis can be very isolating. It does not have to be. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of resources out there. Um, The MSAA is an excellent example of of, um, an organization that provides a lot of support for people with this disease. Um, reach out to them, reach out to other advocacy organizations, to um, your neurologist. Um, There is a a very vibrant community of people who take care of um, this disease, and that that does not just include neurologists. It includes physical therapists, occupational therapists, people who do cognitive rehab, nutritionists, right? right? So um, certainly nursing um, as well. So there's a very vibrant community of people who are there who want to help, um, and um, it's about finding those people to um, to help you go forward. And, you know, we um, very often can uh, make the mistake of spending too much time talking about 
medicine. And certainly um, the MS therapies are effective and they're important, um, you know, but there's a lot more to controlling this disease than just medicine. Um, and that's where things like diet and controlling some of these other conditions really become important exercise as well. So um, there are a lot of resources out there. Um, so, you know, reach out to uh, the people we mentioned and um, it can really make differences in terms of, you know, your quality of life and, and going forward. Well, that is great advice, and we really appreciate all that you've shared with us today, Dr. Gettings. Thank you again so much. So this concludes our podcast, The Many Faces of MS, Exploring Diversity Within Multiple Sclerosis. On behalf of the Multiple Sclerosis Association of America, I would like to thank Dr. E.J. Gettings for sharing his insights on this very important topic. I would also like to thank Gradwell House Recording for hosting us today and producing the program, and our funding partners, Celgene and Novartis, for supporting this podcast, as well as additional programs spotlighting MS and the family. This podcast, along with additional information on multiple sclerosis, can be found on MSAA's website at mymsaa.org. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. 